Turn, if you would, this morning to James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for the truth and song that we just heard. And uh, to think about all that you've done for us, it really is an overwhelming thought. It's an overwhelming truth. So thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us now in these next few moments to give attention to your word. And God, that we would apply it, that we'd be willing to apply it, uh, where you would show us uh, the need, and God, that we would be better and helped by it today. pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how many of you will remember, but last week we began looking at verses 18 through 20, and we watched as James shifted the attention from the difficult days and the trying times that all of us are forced to endure to the Word of God. And what James made clear in verse number 18 is this, is that it was of his own will or of the desires of God that he begat us or brought us forth with the word of truth. And so I tried to remind us last week in the introduction of the sermon that our salvation was wrought about because of God's desire, not anything that we initiated, and it was done through the truth of God's word. Whenever you and I were confronted with the truth of God's word, that is when we understood our sinful, sinful condition, and that is when we knew that we needed a Savior, which was Christ, and that was, it was then that we were able to call out to him for salvation. He went on to say that it was not just through the word of truth that we were uh, begat or brought forth, but he said that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So of all the things that God created, you and I should be superior in our manner of life, in our actions, in our behavior. Uh, we should be different because of our salvation. And so in an effort to explain how that happened, we looked in verse number 19 he said, in order for us to be the first fruits or superior, we have to be swift to hear the word of God. We have to be quick to hear it, to understand it, how it applies to our lives, and to be willing to make that application. And he said, and also slow to speak and slow to wrath. I just tried to point out that many times when we are confronted with the truth of God's word, we are oftentimes quick to speak and try to excuse and justify whatever the actions may be in our lives that we're guilty of. And sometimes, depending on how hard we're hit by the truth of God's word, sometimes we immediately grow angry and we have that wrath. And James went on to say in verse number 20, that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Whenever you and I get angry because we've been confronted by the truth of God's word, here is what we can know for sure, that we are no longer right with God. In order for us to be right with God, we have to be quick to hear his word, slow to defend or excuse ourselves by way of our actions, and we cannot get angry just because we've been confronted. So that's what we talked about last week. This morning's message, I'm just going to let you know right up front, it will certainly overlap with what was said last week, and next week's message is going to overlap with what is said today. That's okay. That's how it works when you deal with things according to context, and I know that you know that. Just want you to know that I'm aware of it, that some of what is said today will be somewhat repetitive, but uh, the repetition, I think, will be helpful for us. Amen. So all that said, 
I want to begin by asking you a question today. I would assume that this has happened to every one of us at some stage in our lives, but how many of us have ever noticed someone doing some things, maybe not grossly terrible, maybe not horribly wrong, just over-the-top bad, however we might describe it, how many of us have ever seen someone doing some things that we knew because of some insight, because of some wisdom, because of some understanding, if they continue doing what they are doing, they are going to have some regrets in the future? Have you ever seen somebody doing something like that? Again, not anything big, not anything terrible, not anything awful, but just because of some wisdom on your part, because of some insight, maybe some past experience, you can look at that and say, you know, if they keep doing that, they're going to regret that in the days to come. Well, if we've ever witnessed that, I, I trust that we've done this at some point based upon observing this in the life of that individual. I trust we've gone to them and maybe pulled them aside and said, hey, listen, I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm not trying to be critical of you. I'm not trying to be judgmental of you. I just want to help you out for a minute and, and say to you, you probably ought to think about what it is you're doing, and you might want to change what it is you're doing because you're not going to enjoy the consequences of it and where that road is going to take you. That's what we should do if we see someone we care about doing something that we know is going to hurt them. We should do that, right? We should be willing to do that. Now, when we do that, I know that you know this, but I just want us to think about this. Whenever we do that, we never know for sure how that person is going to respond to the words that we offer them. We don't know what their response is going to be. We don't know what their attitude is going to be. We don't know what their spirit is going to be. And so we have seen, I'm sure, over the course of our lives, a very mixed response to maybe words of encouragement or, or correction that we have offered. And, and though some people respond with appreciation, let's just be honest, a lot of times people don't respond with appreciation to what it is they have been corrected on. They're not real appreciative that someone pointed out something that they think is wrong. They're, they're not real appreciative that somebody has said, you're going to regret this, and there are a couple of reasons why the person is not real appreciative. Those reasons would be this. Well, first of all, they're doing it because they want to do it. You know, that's what they want to do. And so they don't want somebody coming along saying, hey, listen, you ought not be doing that. The reason they're doing it is because they want to do it. So they don't respond in the best manner because they're doing what they want to do. And if they didn't want to be doing that, they'd be doing something else. But another reason that many times a person's response is not what it ought to be is because of the person's pride. We understand this. It's because of the person's pride. They don't want to admit that they could be wrong, that you might be right. And so they're doing these things, whatever it might be. Again, not terribly, terribly awful things, but you know it's going to cause some problems in the future, so you take the time to bring that to their attention, and they don't appreciate it because they're doing what they want to do, and they don't appreciate it because of pride. Now think about this just a little bit further, and then we'll move on. How many of us have ever gone to someone, said something about what it was they were doing, that they're probably going to regret it, that they ought to rethink it, and they said something like this, thank you, I really appreciate that. 
Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I really, really appreciate it. But they kept doing what it was they were doing. Their outward response to the correction was right. But obviously they weren't too interested in changing because nothing changed. Have we ever witnessed that? They said all the right things from the public perception of things. Their response was right. But it was really proven in the long run that they had no desire to change because nothing changed. Now, as we think on that this morning, I just want us to be reminded of who James is writing to. He is writing to fellow believers. He is writing to men and women who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as a result of what we looked at last week in verse number 18, as a result of the word of truth confronting them at some point in their lives. So here is James writing to people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ because they have come into contact with the truth of God's word. He has already shared with them that they need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And if we look now in the last part of verse number 21, here is what James says. He speaks of the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. The engrafted word, which is able to save your soul. So whenever he speaks of the word, what is James speaking of? Well, he would still be speaking of the word of God. He would still be speaking of the truth of God's word. And he said in verse number 21 that it is the word of truth, it is the word of God that had been engrafted into their lives. So what does it mean that the word of God had been engrafted in their lives? Well, assuming that he is speaking to saved people, people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, he is talking about how the word of God had been planted in their lives and how it had been uh, watered, how it had been nurtured, and how it had brought forth fruit. That's, again, the only way that a person can be saved is by hearing the truth of God's word and yielding to it. So he says that it is the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. How many of us know what the soul is a reference to? We probably all at this point ought to know what the soul is a reference to. It is a reference to our inner man. Have you ever heard me say that before? It is a reference to our inner man, who we are internally. Now, I know that you know this, but I want us to think about this once more because this is very important, all right? It is the inner man that eventually causes us to be who we are externally. What we are internally is who we will one day be externally. We cannot hide who we are internally forever. Okay, so so when people do things, eventually, long term, here's what we can know is that is a manifestation of who they are internally. Sometimes people like to say things like this. Well, that wasn't me. No, if that came from us, then guess what that was? That was a reflection of who we are internally. All right, so, so whenever a person lives in such a way, when the facade is all removed and you're able to see the way a person lives their everyday lives, that is a reflection of who they are internally. 
It's just what the Scripture teaches. It's what the Scripture declares, and it can't be argued. So here's what James says again to fellow believers. This engrafted word which is able to save your soul, your inner man. Now, as we think about that, we also need to give consideration to this truth that the inner man is where our desires, our wants, our passions, our cravings, that is where those things come from. So all these things that are a part of a person's life, it is brought forth and it is born from who we are internally, like it or not. So James says this engrafted word is able to save your inner man, your soul. So whenever he says that the word of God is able or capable to save your soul, what is he talking about whenever he uses the word save? I think most of us, under most situations, we would have the idea of that of deliverance, right? That our souls are delivered, that our souls are rescued because of the word of God. Now, if you think about that, that makes perfect sense, and there's nothing about that statement to argue. But again, we have to consider this in light of the context. He is writing to men and women who are already saved, so it seems somewhat unnecessary to say at this point that the engrafted word is able to or capable to deliver or to save or to rescue your soul from eternal damnation or eternity in hell. So there has to be more when you consider the context, and there is. The word save here not only means to deliver, but it carries with it the idea of protecting your soul or protecting your inner man. Follow this, if you would, please. For the person who is already saved, for the person who is already a child of God, who has already placed their faith in the word of truth, just because a person is saved does not mean that everything has been delivered from the sinful desires and the sinful tendencies and the sinful wants. I think if we would look at our own lives, we would have to be honest and say that just because I'm saved does not mean that everything my flesh wants is what my flesh needs. Come on now. Just because I'm saved, it does not mean that all of my desires are what my desires ought to be. That just because I'm craving it in my flesh is what my flesh needs. The reality of it is this is there is an ongoing battle between my spirit and my flesh, and my flesh is constantly at war with my spirit, and so not everything that I would desire for my life is what I need for my life. And friends, the same is true of you, whether we like to admit it or not. It may not be something to get excited about, but I'm telling you, you are at war in your own life between your spirit and your flesh, and there are times that your flesh desires things that you do not need. Sometimes, here's the problem. What we want doesn't seem like that big of a deal if we get it. 
Have you ever wanted something? Have you ever desired something? Have you ever craved something? And you thought to yourself, it's not a big deal if I do this. But there was like this little thought in your head or this little voice in your head saying, no, you don't need to do that. It's happened to a few of us at least. Okay, there's a reason why. Listen, not everything that we want, not everything that we desire, not everything it is that we crave is terrible and awful and wicked and, and horrible and going to bring about the destruction of, of something great. But, but we've got to be reminded of this. Sometimes what we want, though it may seem relatively innocent, what we want may not be what we need in our lives. And so what James is saying of the Word of God that's been engrafted, that's been planted, that's been put into our lives, that's been nurtured and what's begun to bring forth fruit, he is saying this, here is what the Word of God will do, is it will save your soul or it will protect your inner man. See, I have wants and I have desires. You have wants and you have desires. There are all these things that that we want to do, and sometimes it's not best for us to get those things. So here's what the Word of God does. The Word of God speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and says, don't do that. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to encourage you Don't follow this route. Kind of like the individual that we may see doing some things that we know are not going to lead to the best possible outcome. And we go to them and we say, hey, consider your ways. Give attention to what you're doing. That is what the Word of God does to us. The Word of God comes to us in many different forms through the preacher, through the teacher, through the Word of God in personal devotion, whatever it may be. And the Word of God says, now, now listen, I'm trying to protect you here. I'm trying to help you here. Let's not do this. Let's do some of this. Let, let, let's not pursue this. Let's not follow this. That's what the Word of God tries to do. Now, we've got to be quick to hear that if we want our souls to be protected, right? We have to be quick to hear that, slow to speak and slow to wrath. But he also says in verse number 21... By way of continuing this thought that here's what we've got to be willing to do. We've got to be willing to receive with meekness the engrafted word that is able to protect us or save our souls. See, in order for the word of God to be able to help me, in order for the word of God to be able to protect me from my own desires and wants that would not be best for me, What I have to be willing to do is receive or accept what God's Word says. And that is a challenge for this reason. Because you and I, as I have said so many times before, you and I do what we want to do because that's what we want to do. How I live is because that's how I want to live. How you live is because that's how you want to live. Okay, 
we can't deny that. We can't argue that. But what James is saying is, is sometimes we need protection from our own selves, from our own wants, from our own desires. So the Word of God comes to us and says, listen, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to keep you from making a mess of things. And so whenever the Word of God speaks to us and challenges us, in order for us to be protected from our own wants that will hurt us, we have to be willing to receive it and accept it, he said, with meekness. What is meekness? It is a reference to humility here. See, in order for a person to be helped by the Word of God, in order for a person to be protected from their own ways that are going to lead them down a path that they will soon regret, in order for that to happen, when the Word of God tries to help, a person must be willing to humble themselves and acknowledge what's been said and be willing to accept it. Let's just be honest. Can that be a struggle sometimes? Well, of course it can. Because it goes back to what I just said a moment ago. We're doing what we're doing because that's what we want to do. And so whenever we're doing what we want to do, and then the Word of God comes along and says, hey, listen, you don't need to be doing that, it is hard sometimes for us to humble ourselves and say, Word of God, you are correct. Spirit of God, your leadership is accurate and and you're right. I need to be changing that. No, because we are many times slow to hear but quick to speak and quick to anger. Here's what happens. Like the person we may try to help, here's what happens in our spiritual lives. Rather than humbling ourselves, we maintain our pride and we don't receive what we need from the Word to protect us from what is going to hurt us. So here is James writing to believers who still have this sinful flesh, who still have the sinful tendencies, who still has the sinful desires. And he says, the word of God is able to protect you and the word of God is able to save you and the word of God is able to aid you. But this engrafted word, it must be received with humility. Before that, though, he said this. Wherefore? Wherefore what? Well, wherefore, that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Here's what needs to happen. We need to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. What does it mean to lay apart What does it mean whenever James says to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness? The word lay apart just means this. You need to set it aside. You need to set aside and you need to cast off the filthiness or the superfluity of naughtiness, which just means this, that which is ungodly or that which is wicked. It would be really this, any form of disobedience to God's declared word. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes whenever I think of that which is wicked, I think of stuff that I don't do. 
Oh, see, that activity, that's wicked. That, that activity is terrible. That activity, that is awful. That, that activity is disgusting in the sight of a holy, righteous God. And all of that is. But you know what? My sin is every bit as wicked and disgusting in the sight of God as someone else's sin. So see, you and I, we can't really afford to categorize our sin because all disobedience to God's word and because all disobedience to God's will, it really is, whether we like to admit it or not, it is evil and it is wicked. So we may look at our lifestyle, we may look at some of what it is we're doing and we may say, well, it's not that big a deal. Not that big a deal to who? Maybe not to us, maybe not to family, maybe not to friends, maybe not to our neighbors. But friends, if the Holy Spirit of God through his word confronts us on it and we then choose not to respond in obedience, then that is disobedience and that is evil and wickedness then on our part. So in order for me to be protected from myself, I have to be willing to receive with meekness, with humility, the word of truth that's been engrafted into my life. If I choose not to do so, that is because of my pride and my arrogance, believing that I know better or the consequences won't be significant. So if I want to save myself and protect myself from my own ungodly desires, I have to be willing to listen with humility to what the Word of God would tell me through the aid of the Holy Spirit. And then I have to be willing to set aside and get rid of, change my behavior in relation to whatever it is the Word of God has confronted me on. Now, friends, this is important. Here, here's why it's so important. See, there are times and there are occasions, at least for myself, that I've been confronted by the Word of God, and I was not too quick to hear, and I was not too slow to speak, and I was not too slow to wrath. There have been times I didn't receive it real well. You ever been there? All right. But there have been times that I've been corrected and I have given the right response externally. Kind of like the individual I spoke of a moment ago, you know, the person that you confront and you say, hey, you might want to think about this. And they say, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I really appreciate it. Okay, there have been times that I have responded like that to the word of God. But if you had followed my actions past that, you would realize that though it appeared as though I received it with humility, I really rejected the correction because I was not willing to lay apart the filthiness, the superfluity of naughtiness, the disobedience in my life. I don't know if this is making sense or not. I, I hope it is. But I want us to see this. It's not just enough to say, oh, okay, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. And that accomplished the work in our lives that the Word of God is trying to accomplish. No, in order for the Word of God to accomplish in our lives what it hopes and intends to accomplish, 
I've got to lay aside or lay apart, get rid of what it is I'm supposed to get rid of because it's going to hurt me if I hold on to it. So it's not just enough to have a seemingly right response externally. The proof is, it, the, the proof is found in my willingness to remove that activity, whatever it may be, that thought, whatever it is. It's found in my willingness to separate that from my personal life. So here's James. If I can just kind of summarize it this way, here is James saying, listen, believers who have already been saved because of the word of truth, through the word of God, it still, and God still, wants to protect you from desires and wants and dreams and ambitions and thoughts that are not helpful that will eventually hurt you. That's what God's Word wants to do. It wants to protect us. It's not here to make our lives miserable. God's Word is hoping to help us and protect us and, and, and aid us in our daily lives. But in order for that to happen, you have to be willing to receive and accept the Word of God with humility. Which means you're going to have to surrender your pride. Again, this is what James is saying to them. You're going to have to surrender your pride, admit you're wrong, admit the word of God is right. And at the same time, you've got to be willing to lay apart whatever disobedience it is that's been brought to your attention. You have to be willing to forsake it if you want to protect yourself in the future. And so this morning, I'm just going to close with this thought. I'm just going to close with this question, and you'll have to answer this however you see fit, however you feel led by the, by the aid of the Holy Spirit in your life. But I want you to consider this question because I have to. How often do we receive with humility the word of truth? As opposed to the number of times we find ourselves resisting that word, because of our pride. We're doing what we want to be doing. We're living how we want to be living. We're engaged in what we want to be engaged in. We've got everything established the way we want it to be established. And the Word of God comes and says, Hey, listen, you need to stop this. You need to start this. You need to alter this. You need to change this. The question we need to consider is this is how often are we quick to humble ourselves and receive what is said in, in opposition or in contrast to the number of times in our pride we don't want to hear it? We need to consider that because it influences the course of our lives. And how many times has the Word of God come to us and say, hey, listen, this needs to change. This needs to, to not be what it is, and, and you need to get rid of this. How often are we quick to say, okay, but the actions past that don't really change? We acknowledge the need for change, but we don't ever lay it apart or set it aside. 
If we don't ever lay it apart or set it aside, then we've not really done business with the Word of God that's trying to help us. The Word of God's trying to be a help to our daily lives. And everything that our lives come into contact with, the Word of God is trying to help. But we've got to be willing to humble ourselves. We've got to be willing to receive it. We've got to be willing to make some changes or else the Word of God is not able to do what it desires to do for each of us. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, thank you for your Word. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.